0: To the war in Ukraine now, do you ever notice every time there's some kind of bad news out there about Ukraine, Ottawa tends to roll out something like good news. So today it's expanding sanctions to include dozens of military officers whose troops whose troops stand accused of committing atrocities, mainly in Bucha, that that area outside of Kyiv, against Ukrainian civilians. Canada is also adding 17 companies and entities, Russian companies and entities, uh, to its sanctions list for supporting the invasion. Uh, Russian troops, of course, are accused of having raped, tortured, and killed hundreds of Ukrainian civilians in the city on the outskirts of Kyiv during the first months of their invasion. The International Criminal Court is also investigating. Now, those sanctions announcements come as a new report from the Global Mail says that just prior to shuttering the embassy in Kyiv back in mid-February. Global Affairs Canada in Ottawa was briefed on the real possibility that Russia would invade and that Ukrainians working for our embassy there would be targeted. Despite that, and pleas from embassy staff in Kyiv to help them out, Ottawa told staff in Kyiv to withhold that information and leave local hires behind, some 50 of them. Unaware of the risks, at least from from the embassy, that they could face retaliation or at least be targeted, by Russian soldiers if they were to overrun the capital. Well, joining me now with more on this is Rob Hubert. He's an assistant professor of political science at the University of Calgary. Thanks so much for your time tonight.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Ben.
0: So uh, this is one of those stories that you I mean. I, we we knew that that. That staff had been left behind because it emerged quite early on that they were sort of trying to find their way out and there were some, you know, embassy staff that were doing it of their own volition, trying to help their own colleagues out of the country. But this is kind of surprising that the embassy knew that they could be targeted by Russian invasionary forces and left them there to their own devices anyway and didn't even bother to tell them about it. Has it come as a surprise to you?
1: Well, we have such a mixed record on terms of how we've acted. I mean, the general trend, and this is bipartisan, it's not just simply the, Tr- the Trudeau administration, but uh, we have a tendency not really to provide the type of protection that you would think. Um, you know, there, Canada heavily involves itself in a lot of actions, including those that entail military action, and we do tend. doesn't matter if you're talking about the Afghans, if you're talking about the Kurds, Um, we're, we we do not have exactly the best track record for this.
0: I guess there isn't necessarily, I mean, we call it duty of care, but it doesn't extend, does it, to local hires, at least not under uh, the rules that have been in place for the last decade.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the you know, that's one of the defenses that you'll hear the government make. And I suppose from a legal perspective, you might say, yeah, th- th- there's an element. But I mean, let's be honest from a, from a human perspective or human security, whatever you want to say, there's a certain responsibility of people that are, are, are you know, have put their lives on, on the line, be them in Afghanistan or in Ukraine. And we have a moral responsibility as far as I'm concerned for those people.
0: I mean, I I think, Rob, what we're seeing, clearly uh, the Global Mail spoke to diplomats who feel exactly the same way. These are clearly people who knew what happened and decided they had to speak out about it.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, especially remember, this is this is a foreign service that couldn't couldn't hide its happiness when the Trudeau administration came back, you know, in terms of cheering. So the idea that you would have professional diplomats, you know, be, being willing to to break their silence on this for such a for such a, um, a telling criticism, I think it, it just shows how much they are concerned
0: there were some examples. I think one of the one of the things the report pointed out is that the Americans did do some work to try to clear some of their people out. I mean, they understood, they all understood this was a five eyes briefing. They all understood that their embassy staff could be targeted. They they had learned this, that their embassy staff could be targeted should a Russian soldiers, uh, you know, take over. Uh, other countries sort of tried to make sure they got some of them out at least. But it looks like we just left ours behind. There was one comment in, in the article about how, you know, employees had to watch as Canadian staff worried about how to get their pets out of Kyiv
1: while they were being left behind. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, and then you combine that with that, that, that stupid photo op that uh, Trudeau and his senior administrators had to uh, do when they uh, showed up in, in Ukraine. Remember, they couldn't get to the embassy fast enough to take those pictures, and they had to have the photographer come along. And then we hear this story, and it, you, know, you, you just sit there and shake your head and think, this is a government that just has its priorities so, so wrong.
0: Or in many ways doesn't doesn't seem to know that they're going to get caught out about, or doesn't even know. I mean, sometimes you look and think they they don't even know what's going on at the embassy in, in in Kiev. I'm realizing it's still essentially shuttered now. We interviewed the the new ambassador a while back. Uh, I guess they're trying to do some some work there, but yeah, the the, the idea that you would leave them behind is, is there any way to change this? I mean, this is not going to be the last time we find ourselves in a difficult situation. I gather this was this current regime or this current. Um, policy was brought in when we were shuttering the embassy in Iran and we didn't have to want to worry about getting people out of that country.
1: No. I mean, well, let's put it this way. So, so we didn't do it in Iran. We didn't do it in Afghanistan. We didn't do it with the Kurds. Um, did any of these governments ever suffer from that action? I mean, the brutal fact is that Canadians do not vote On these type of issues Um, are you going to see people turn around saying they've had enough of uh, of the three examples that we've just talked about with the Trudeau administration and that will determine my vote Uh, or will there be other factors that determine the vote and as a result um, these governments have become hyper you know sensitive to what hurts them at the polls but if it doesn't hurt them then I think they feel they have free reign
0: It must hurt us somewhere, though, because within those milieu's. Like if you go to any major capital like A Kiev, you know, people who work locally for the embassies, they they talk to each other. They know each other to some extent. If Canada gets a bad reputation for not treating its its employees properly, its local hires properly, we've certainly seen accusations that of that with Afghanistan, some of it entirely fair, some of it, you know, obviously due to logistics. Um but Canada Canada's international reputation would no doubt have to suffer if we're seen as being the country that leaves its local hires in the lurch when something goes wrong.
1: Well, the problem, though, with the reputation argument, Ben, is, of course, we pride ourselves on what we think people think about us. You know, we're always having this this, uh, this mythology, oh, yes, everybody wants to be like us. And the reality is, is most people don't really think about us, period. The other problem, too, is in each of these zones where we've abandoned these people, be it Ukraine, Afghanistan, wherever, these are war zones. Yeah, people may turn around and say, yeah, the Canadians are, are kind of slimy. They they, they they will abandon you, but I need a job. Where can I get a job? And that's going to be the driving feature. And that's, you know, once again, this is why the government gets away with it, because they can turn around and say, hey, look at all these people that want to work for us. See, we can't be that bad if they're coming in. And they're not coming to work for us because they're going, oh, my God, I want to go work with the Canadians. That's so that's so cool. They're thinking, i got to feed my family in this bloody war zone. And I got to take whatever I can get, and I think that's the reason why you see people. You know, you won't see people turning around saying, "Well, I won't go work for those those, those darn Canadians." They may be thinking that, but that's not that's not going to stop them if the job is offered.
0: No, you're uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, having, having been in some of those areas, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the things I was struck by today is that you know, in an article you wrote back a while wrote a while back. You talked about sort of the, the Canada's back, Canada has your back. Um, you know, theme that we often see rolled out. And this, once again, sort of lays lays doubt to that claim, doesn't it?
1: Oh, just totally. I mean, it's just, you know, in your introductory comments, you also talked about the new sanctions being brought forward and the way that Canada's always trying to put spins on. Oh, yes, we're going to go isolate these people. Of course, when we had the opportunity to really hurt the Russians, um, you know, we said, oh, we have to make an exception to that because the Germans asked us nicely. Uh, <laughs> it's just sort of like, yeah. Okay, so you're going to go with these the, 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 these the, these targeted sanctions that we know don't have an impact because if they did, it would have worked in 2014. Because I mean, remember the war starts in 2014, and we try to do that. You know, targeted sanctions will will fix Putin's wife and daughter, and and that's really going to hurt them. And and how much did that stop Putin from launching the second phase of the war in 2022? And of course, it's nothing. Now the sanctions. If we if we would have held on to the the the, the turbines or tur- turbines that we were holding, um, that starts hurting their their real economic capability. And and why we're not sitting there saying to the Germans, look, we'll pick up the slack. We've got oil and gas. Uh, you know that's that that that's who we are. And instead of and said, uh, well. We got a chance to actually hurt them, but we're not willing to, to to do the mental gymnastics that would require to try to actually sell oil and gas to uh, the Germans. I mean, it's just, I mean, the hypocrisy there just baffles one's mind.
0: Yeah, I saw the Germans wrote thanking us again today, and then the uh, one, one commentator put it, of course, well, saying that uh, Canada didn't want to let down an ally who was letting down an ally.
1: Right? So, yeah, 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 I mean, it's always good. just... Yeah, you're so right, Ben. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? You sit there and everybody knows that it was a dumb idea all along to go for Nord Stream and tie yourself into that. And everybody saw the treatment that occurred when the war started in 2014. and. The the idea that that becomes important to keep our alliance when in fact remember when when Trudeau made that big show of support when when uh, Zelensky came and talked at the at, at the parliament and oh yes we're mm-hmm. with you we've got your back yeah until the Germans want us to do something different I mean come on I mean that was just. Ugh.
0: It segues nicely into our next topic, something you were talking about on the weekend, uh, Rob, which is uh, Russia's new naval doctrine, which makes some pretty interesting uh, remarks or pretty interesting uh, claims about the Arctic, something Canada, I imagine, should be worried about. Uh, We'll talk about that after this. Rob Hewitt is with us from Calgary. He is a professor, assistant professor of political science at the University of Calgary and a fellow at the Centre for Military Security and Strategic Studies. We've been talking about... uh, Canada uh, essentially abandoning its local staff at uh, the embassy in Kiev right before Russia's invasion. And we'll move now to Russia because over the weekend on Sunday was Navy Day in Russia, always a big one. And Vladimir Putin uh, introduced or signed a new Navy doctrine, a new blueprint. It sets out the Arctic Ocean, which, of course, many have been repeatedly warning that Russia is trying to militarize, at least, uh, as an area of particular importance for the country. That has to have significance for this country, although I haven't seen anyone talk about it since Sunday, Rob, uh, other than you. <laughs> or I haven't seen many people talk about it. Uh, Canada must be worried about its security. I mean, clearly, it's nice that Russia telegraphs what it's up to. At the same time, how should we be reacting to it?
1: Well, we should be horrified because we have to take what they just said in this. Um, and, and, and just to be clear, this isn't a new policy. This is a policy that's been developing from 207, 208. We've just chosen to totally um, ignore it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's a public statement, uh, and it, that re- represents something new. But why we should be terrified is the manner by which the Putin makes it very clear that they are seeing the arctic as you know in political science we call it the russia's uh, an arctic hegemon it means it's got local uh military advantages in both its maritime and aerospace capabilities in the region and they have made a dedicated effort and like i said we can trace it back to about 2007 uh when they we see the real efforts to do this and then we have of course putin Reiterating, he reiterates it because he had said it before, but we took notice finally now that he will be will, willing to use nuclear force against the NATO alliance if they, in fact, take actions that he deems threatening. And now that threatening language is now put into the context of the Navy bill or Navy policy. And here's the kicker. Here's the part that you've got to be really concerned about. In Canada, we often come up with policies and we never bother paying anything. I mean, you know, strong, secure, engaged, made all these great promises about a new Navy getting the um, replacement for the F-18s. Of course, how's that going? The Russians, on the other hand, have been making major efforts of rebuilding their Navy, particularly in the context of their undersea capabilities. Now, I say undersea because it's not just submarines. It's also autonomous underwater vehicles. It is a new set of torpedoes that are said to basically be able to go around 2 to 300 uh, miles an hour underwater, which, if it's true, is amazing. They've also developed a whole host of new, what is called tactical nuclear weapon delivery systems. Uh, these are the hypersonics that people are so concerned with. So for the Russians, it's, it's build the Navy, get the capability, and then we'll talk, as opposed to the Canadian government who likes to talk and never gets around to doing it. And so we've set up the straight, a straw man in Canada. You'll hear it from General Ayers. You'll hear it from the Minister of Defense and Foreign Affairs. They'll say, well, the Russians aren't going to invade Baffin Island. And then the logical conclusion for them is, therefore, we don't have to worry about the Russians, which is total nonsense. We have to worry very much, because the threat's not about a bunch of Russians landing on, on Alzmere Island. The threat is from their submarines. It's from their, their aerospace and air capabilities. Their 15 to 22 new bases that they have built in the Arctic region since 2007. The new hypersonics, the new under, uh, underwater autonomous vehicles. This is where the threat is, and we're just pretending it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, I mean, the threat is who controls access, right? Who controls the region and, and not not in terms of putting troops on, as you mentioned, on Baffin Island, you wouldn't want to do that. But who really controls, who rules the roost up there? And, and in many ways, uh, it sounds like Russia continues to make noise about it being them. And if anyone gets in their way, there's going to be a price to pay. I mean, what to make of that, given what's happened in Ukraine is another issue. But still, it's to be taken seriously.
1: Well, it's actually a center, center issue then, uh, because what's happened is that the Russians have been successful since they began this reassertion since, well, it's 1999, when they put down the Chetnian Revolution. Then they do it in Georgia. Then they do it in Syria as a test bed. Then they do it in Ukraine in 2014 and now in 2022. This is a series of behavior Now, the reason why, once again, the Ukraine is central to all this capability is that it's a basic element of showing to the West, we are going to take what we want, and if you try to meet us with military force— we have a greater capability to fight than you. And that is focused on the maritime and the militarization of the Arctic that they're doing. So in other words, this isn't just simply, you know, strutting their, their stuff to, to show that they're the, 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 the biggest uh, boys in the room. It's basically getting ready to fight that war when, in fact, the West takes steps to finally say, you know, be it in, in the Balkans or Moldavia or wherever it's going to happen next, okay, enough is enough, we're going, we're going to stop you. Well, then you see the Russians with the capability of, a, of what people fear the most, which is a lightning strike, which then incapacitates us, blinds us. And then the Russians are there, okay, so what are you going to do now? And so are we going to escalate nuclear weapons at that point? And you see the logic here. So it's that's why it, what they've said on the Navy side What they've done in Ukraine is so important and why it's so outrageous that we in Canada just say, well, Baffin Island's not going to be invaded, so let's not worry.
0: Perhaps we'll get that icebreaker one day, Rob. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time again tonight.
1: Always my pleasure, Ben. I
0: look forward to the next time.